Hey folks, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really, really excited about the conversation I'm gonna to have tonight. You know me, Tom Zuba. I don't believe in coincidences and I actually have come to the point where I believe that life happens for me, it doesn't happen to me. And Monday, Monday, which was yesterday, at 11.47 a.m., I got a message. Number one, it's remarkable that I actually read the message. This is the message. Tom, thanks for connecting with me. I just wanted to thank you. Your writing has helped me. My mom died in 2014, just after she published her first book. My dad ended up traveling the country and speaking on her and her book's behalf. I'm a filmmaker and felt compelled to capture the story for many reasons. The subsequent film is now done and made its premiere yesterday. So the film premiered Sunday, the 25th at the Austin Film Festival quite the day for me. This is the part that really got my attention. And I woke up with your poem, Sit Down on My Brain. That's chapter 10 from my first book, Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. It's a meaningful piece for me and articulates what I've been trying to capture, suggest rather through telling my dad's story that it is the telling our stories, as you say, the telling of our stories that is a path to healing. Again, thank you. You can stream the film with the Austin Film Festival through Thursday. Thanks, Phil Wall. Well, you know damn well, I immediately contacted Phil. I said, hey, I wanna talk with you. I wanna talk with you tomorrow night. Are you up for it? I want to introduce you to Phil Wall, filmmaker. I had the pleasure of watching The Bookkeepers, not once, but I watched it twice. It is so moving. It is so touching. I am so excited to have this conversation with you, Phil. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Tom. Uh, I, I really, I didn't expect to be here tonight. And I, you know, I really meant what I, what I wrote yesterday. I, I would say that when my friend sent me, she sent me your, your poem when she saw an early draft of the film. Um, and she just said, you have to read this. And I read it and it just, it shook me to the core. And yesterday or Monday or Sunday, it, it saved me. You know, and and I think it's really it's a really special thing that you were able to do for me, and that's what I hope that we all can do with our stories is allow them to meet each other, you know, wherever we are, and you know, leave us somewhere else, and then the next time you come across it, it's going to mean something different. And so that poem, I mean, I really did. It was just I didn't know what to do with myself Sunday morning. And I sat down and I read it. And um, it reminded me of kind of, it centered me on that day. And, and I sent it to friends and family and, you know, just thank you. 
So when I was writing chapter 10 and actually every chapter of the book, I literally, I literally sat down and I said to God, I said to the universe, you and I both have Roman Catholic backgrounds, so I'll use the word God. I literally said to God, help me connect with every single human being throughout the ages that is going to read this book and allow them to pull through me what it is they need to read, what it is they need to hear, what's going to move them, what's going to touch them. So I firmly believe, Phil, that you actually had a hand in pulling chapter 10 out of me, you know, somehow, some way, knowing that it would assist you on this journey of telling this really, really beautiful story. I also want to tell you this. What is unusual about me having the opportunity to talk to you and getting to know your dad through the documentary is that I've been doing this for over 10 years. And I would say 98% of the people that I work with, people who are living with the death of their spouse, the death of their child, the death of a parent, they're women, they're women. And I, I have forever, said, where are the men? Where are the men? What exactly are the men doing with their grief? So about six months ago, actually it was, it was in March when the entire world exploded uh, with the pandemic. I literally said, open me up, help me connect with men. I want to figure out a way how energetically I can attract more men. So as I said to you last night, I am not bragging, this is just the truth. On my personal Facebook page, like everybody else, we're limited to 5,000 friends. Well, probably 200 of my friends are people that I actually know. The rest of them are people that have sought me out because of the work that I do. So right now there's a minimum of 1,000 people that have sent me a friend request. And I, I think I have 50 more openings. So whenever I see a man pop up, you know, I'm like, okay, who is this? You know, is this a widow? Is this a widower? You know, if it's a young guy, you know, has th their child died. So you pop up, you know, you and I are friends. You, you send me a message yesterday, here we are. So what I tell people is I share what I believe. You get to share what you believe. I have never, ever, ever told anybody what they should believe. I honestly believe that this author that I've known now for a little more than 24 hours named Carol Wall literally had a hand in bringing you and I together. And I think it's part of that plan. You take care of our book. You take care of our book. It's like little did we know that, that I'm in the circle of those of us that are take, taking care of the book. Right. Um, so how, 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 how? I, I, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, but how does one become a filmmaker? Well, I would say for me, it just started by loving 
movies. I, I became obsessed with them as a kid and, and could watch them nonstop. Um, and, uh, and I just, I wanted to try it. I mean, I, I, was a, I played high school basketball for my dad. Uh, and so we had all the game tapes laying around and I loved watching ESPN classic documentaries. And so then I started trying to put those together. And one thing led to another, and I really enjoyed it. And of course, I grew up with my my mother, who's a, a storyteller and writer, and she had sort of kind of demystified that process in a way where I had some sense of the steps that you had to take to be published or to be accepted uh, and how many times you weren't going to be. Um, and so there, for me, there was, I think, less of a mystery about the work it takes and uh, the, um, you know, the path to finding a voice and how that changes over time and how to hang on to a project and how to let it go. So for me, I mean, I just think I had that seed at a young age. I had the example of my mother and then that thrust me into you know, I studied it in school and then I did internships and, and um, kind of ended up starting my own projects and, you know, things got out of hand in some ways. So, so, so did, you yeah. major, did you major in film in college? No, I was an English major. I went to Williams College, which is liberal arts school in Massachusetts, and um, they, they do have film, film classes, uh, not a film program. So I was an English major and then I did uh, internships in Los Angeles during the summers. Um, and I did a uh, like cinematography course at Southern Cal, thinking like, that's where I'm going to go and get sort of the hands-on experience with equipment. Uh, and then the rest of my schooling would be more about kind of having something to say or having perspective. Uh, that's, of course, just one route. But, um, but that's, that's what I did. And your mom was a high school English teacher. Yeah, she was high school English teacher. Um, she went back to teaching when I was growing up, up until I think my sophomore year in high school, she was at home and writing. And then my junior year, uh, there needed to be a long-term substitute and she stepped in and she taught for a few years. Um, and then she was also the writer in residence in Roanoke County had a had a program where they had a writer in residence and she went around to all of the schools in Roanoke uh, County and spent a couple of days or I think it was four days talking to the kids about writing and and um, and I was able to do that with her a few times and it was really cool. So I think I'm assuming because your mom was an English teacher when you made the announcement that you were going to go to college and major in English, was, was there some support there or did people say, huh, you know, what, what are you going to do with that? Who's going to pay you to be an English major? Let me tell you why I ask. The woman that I married was an English major. Oh, wow. Okay. No, I have the most supportive parents uh, they thought it was awesome um 
you could, you know, you could go to law school, you could double major, like, no question. They, they thought that I could, they thought I could be a filmmaker. They thought I could be a basketball coach or a teacher. It, it was, there was none of, none of that. But I do, I do get those jokes all the time about what do you do with that? I, I mean, a lot, um, you know, so. So how would you describe your life, you know, gr growing up? with your mom, was, was your dad practicing law when you were young? Yes, yeah, he, he, he uh, I, that was the first thing I wanted to be was a lawyer like him. Um, and he was a basketball coach as well, um, not just my teams. He was a basketball coach when I was a kid. I, I remember running around his practices uh, at, the, at Radford High School. And, um, and just being around the basketball team and the gym and all of that. Um, um, it was, yeah, I mean, our parents were involved in every aspect of our lives and it was very much uh, a team effort. So um, that's what sort of makes what's happening now uh, feel very natural to I think all of us and, and including my brother and sister because it was just sort of all hands on deck um, never really felt like there was any um, uh, anything like Rocky or do you know what I mean like there were certainly um, crises or, or things that illness and things like that but it was a very steady, uh, calm, uh, loving household, and, and I was able to have goals and and uh, pursue them, and and have parents who were supportive, but also like talk to me about, well, how do you achieve that? I mean, I wanted to play college basketball, and my dad would say, well, here's what you have to do, you know. So it it. it, it they were very supportive and also they helped orient all of us, I think. So the name of the documentary is The Bookkeepers. And, and at the end of our conversation, we're gonna let people know how they can actually see it over the next couple of days. I don't wanna to give too much away, but the way okay. your mother and father, not that they met, but the, the, what, what had to happen for them to have their first date, the way that your father describes it is so hysterical. Can you share with folks just a little bit about how old they were, what they were doing, and what the hell had to happen for them actually to yeah. have that first date? Yeah, this is the, the, the legend in our family is my parents, they grew up together in a small town, uh, Radford, Virginia. Uh, it's southwestern Virginia, and uh, they did not like each other. Um, and my mom was, um, she was, by the time they got to high school, she was head cheerleader, and it's a football town, uh, and she was also top of her class. And uh, my dad was, he didn't play football. He told the football coach, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and he was a basketball player, and uh, he was, as he describes himself, a, uh, a hippie radical Catholic. Uh, and you, if you watch the, the film, you know, you'll see that sort of the, he 
and I think this is one of the themes in the film is this, he revisits this idea of magic a few times throughout. And one of the early bits of it, and this is what I grew up with, believing that my parents fell in love because my dad was playing with the Radford High School basketball team in the first ever, their first ever appearance in the New River District Championship game uh, in 1970. And they were down by one with seven seconds to go and they had never beaten Pulaski and all this stuff. And he gets the ball and he's their leading scorer and star player. And he puts it up and it, and it goes in. And uh, when, you, when we talk about that, that, that's why we're here. I mean, that's hard. That's, I grew up thinking that and it kind of, you know, I, I, I remember talking with my brother a few times about it, like, this, I, what if, you know, that's a little iffy. You know, what if that didn't go in, right? I, and, and, and it goes back to what you were just saying earlier when you started off the top about how you feel like this is fate and, and, and you know, there are all these forces at work. And I think that my mom would probably agree with you. Uh, and, uh, and, and it sounds like something she would say. And when you talk about sort of me being able to somehow influence you when you were writing... Uh, uh, chapter 10 uh, of, um, and uh, um, it reminds me of how she would talk about how she, she would have these long conversations with me about how she doesn't believe that time is linear. And she would go into these things and describe that to me. And uh, it was one of those things when I would walk by her room sometimes and, you know, she would watch old movies and she would uh, call me into the room to like watch something that she, a black and white film that she was watching on Turner Classic or whatever. And we'd either talk about that film or we'd get into some of these deep conversations uh, and one of them had to do with time. But so, yeah, I definitely did grow up with this idea that my parents did not like each other and my dad made this shot and uh, they fell in love. So they were married when she was 20 and he was 19. I hope I got that right. Yeah. She was, uh, she was at, uh, they were both freshmen in uh, college. He was a freshman in college. She was a sophomore. And they both lived together at Vanderbilt in student housing. And um, they, you know, like he says in the film, they grew up together. Uh, so, so, you know, to me, that was so natural. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized like, wow, that, that's a different type of magical story. Um, and, and there's probably a lot more to it. Well, not only that, but I'm your parents' age. Your mom, as you said, was head cheerleader, was top of her class, and a year older than your dad. So she's a senior, right. he's a junior. I mean, for her to take a step down and date someone that was younger than her, yeah. I mean, that's, I hope, you know. Yeah. I hope he's listening and he heard you say that it's a step down. It is a step down. I'll tell you why. Because when I was a junior in high school, my girlfriend was a senior, not the woman I married. But oh. I knew, I mean, I knew that I was being elevated because Diane was dating me. Um, 
So this is what I find fascinating. You grow up with this really, really loving, fun-loving mom and dad. They value education. They value family. They value communication. And when you're 12 years old, 12, your mom gets diagnosed with breast cancer. So what, what do you remember about that? What's it like when a 12-year-old hears that news? Uh, well, I do remember being like brought to my parents' room and it was sort of, we were sort of, um, it was sort of couched as everything's going to be okay, you know, uh, but we want to tell you that, that mom has this and, and it's just a little lump and, and we're, it's going to be taken care of and it's the good kind. And, and it was one of those things where uh, I had grown to, you know, I trusted my parents. Um, and so uh, it was, and it was also at a time that I had, I told you that I, I was, at like age 11, I had hip surgeries. I had two hip surgeries um, that were a result of um, being undiagnosed with hypothyroid for a long period of time. And so I had a period where I was kind of home on the couch, like watching TV, watching movies for, for almost a year. Uh, and I couldn't, I wasn't active and things like that. Um, and so just right around that time where it just, it felt like I, I remember just sort of feeling like, yeah, sickness is, is, in this, is in this world. It's in our life. It's in this house. Uh, and in some ways, her being sick, um, it felt, uh, I felt uh, like a camaraderie in a way. Um, because she she went through she had surgery too um but i i always thought that she was going to be okay because that's what she said and and uh, and you know she was um but but i felt like my parents were being open and honest about it but and also preparing us um for uh for this process but it wasn't until i read her book that I realized exactly what she was thinking and going through and how upset she was uh, about that. And that maybe she didn't 100% necessarily believe what she was telling me. But um, in some ways, I, I, in some ways reading her book made me see how she was mothering me. So, so even with that first diagnosis in 2004, that did upset her more than she let on? Yes, yes. I, I think that if you read her book, you'll, you'll read that she said that she felt that cancer was chasing her. I promise you. And it's not if I read the book, it's when I read the book. I promise you I'm going to read that book. Uh, so she felt like so, cancer was chasing her? Yes. Wow. Yes. Had had she had experience in her family with cancer? No, she ha she hadn't, um, and and but she had reason to believe uh, that 
that she was at risk. I could say that, but you, you'll have to read that book. Uh, no spoilers in this uh, interview. Absolutely. So I want to just backtrack a little bit. Did you say, were you home for a whole year because of your surgery? It was like about seven or nine months, I think. I wasn't able to, um, to like be, I couldn't do anything athletic. I couldn't run or I was playing basketball. I played basketball and soccer and um, I mean, I loved it. And, and I just was sidelined uh, while my hips uh, healed. Were you able so to go it to was, school? I'm sorry? Did you actually go to school or were you home? I did go to school. I did go to school, uh, but I did, I spent a lot of time at home um, and I did go to school, but I struggled uh, just emotionally with it because my, I, I hadn't had thyroid hormone for a long time. And then I started on the thyroid medication. And of course, anyone who does that, you know, like there's just ups and downs. And so I, I had like a little depression and, and so it was just, and my parents were just, they were very supportive and uh, I would stay home or sometimes I would go to school for half of a day and uh, they'd let me, they would let me go to the principal's office and sit and read a book or uh, go to school and come home for half of a day. And I remember my dad started, um, started kind of a program with me to help me, give me something to look forward to. His office was just like uh, a couple blocks away from the school. And if I, uh, when I went to school for like an entire week on Friday, he'd get me out of school early and we would go to this baseball store that I liked and he would buy, you know, a poster or a hat or something like that. And then we'd go and, and have hot dogs at this, uh, this little restaurant. And it was just something that I looked forward to and helped me mark passing of time. Uh, and get back, get myself integrated back into um, who I thought I was, you know? And, and yeah, that was at a really young age. And so, um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, as I'm saying that, I sort of see a lot of parallels to, to you know, a grief experience. I don't know what else that is other than a traumatic uh, grief experience uh, for me as a kid, just sort of losing that health and uh, and uh, realizing sort of uh, uh, that I can also be subject to that type of illness as as minor as it may have been uh, compared to others. I define grief as the internal automatic response to the loss of a dream. So your hip surgery certainly resulted in you losing many dreams so yeah i mean mm -hmm. i would say you are absolutely experiencing grief i i loved what you said phil that when you read your mom's book and you learned the truth of what she was thinking and feeling about that cancer diagnosis that you realized that by keeping the, the reality of it from you that was another way that she was mothering you and it sounds like that you were blessed with both your mother and your father mothering you, you know, through that year, you know, so, so that the blessing of that was, I'm, I would assume that there were many, 
in retrospect, but without a shadow of a doubt, you knew that your mom and your dad both had your back and had your best interest at heart. So yeah, I would, I, go ahead. Would you say, you know, after 2004, after 2005, as far as your mom's breast cancer, did it kind of settle down and move into the background? Yeah, absolutely. You mean after 1995? Yeah. After the first, the first time. Yeah, absolutely. After the first time, uh, never really thought of it again. They said it was gone. Um, and uh, yeah, just totally in the background. And for, then for me, I, not for her, I don't think. Yeah. So, so then in what year did this gardener appear? Oh, I don't want to get the year wrong. It was around like 2002, 2001, 2002. I was, I remember I was like a junior, something like that in high school. And, 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 and he, what's your memory of that? I, I just remember her telling me that, because uh, she, she used to have me work in the yard. Okay. Uh, like I was doing all the stuff. And, um, and I remember her telling me about, uh, about uh, him. She had met him up, uh, he was working in our neighbor's yard up the street. And uh, so she, I remember her telling me that she was going to have him to start start working on our yard, and she was very excited. And then, and then she ended up striking up this friendship with him. And so I do I do remember that. And of course, when the, when they became friends, uh, I started seeing more of him, and and I would talk to him in the yard. And yeah, it was a really nice. He was a really nice guy. And, and was your mom a gardener? Not at all. No, no. And that's sort of how, uh, that's one of the, the paths that the book takes is, is that she did, the reason that she had me or my dad or anyone else other than herself in the yard was that she didn't want to do it. She, she, she did not, uh, she had an, an aversion to it, let's say. Yeah. But uh, she had her reasons. So tell folks the name of your mom's book. The name of the book is Mr. Owita's Guide to Gardening. Do you have a copy of it there? I do, actually. So, so that book is available right now. How do people find it? You can go uh, to the website, mrowita.com, and, and learn, you know, there's links there where you can buy it online. You can go to IndieBound. Um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, it's, 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 it's everywhere. Spell Owita for people that are listening either live or in the recording. It is O-W-I-T-A. So what's the gist of the book? The, it's about how her friendship with this Kenyan gardener coincided with uh, her experience losing her parents and losing her health uh, to uh, cancer um, for a second time, and uh, how that friendship helped her navigate that process, and um, how 
you know, our families became intertwined and, and sort of the power of uh, those relationships. And, and at the time, you know, at the time that that was unfolding, I mean, you have your own life, you know, you're a young high schooler, you're going off to college. Were you aware of what was going on? Were you aware of the deep friendship that was developing? I, I was certainly aware of the friendship and I was, and I was aware of, um, she really thought he was a very special person and she had started uh, a book that she felt would be, um, you know, the same title, Mr. Oweda's Guide to Gardening, but it would be all about him. And uh, so she had started that when I was in uh, high school and then when I went off to college and she got sick again um, and her cancer came back, she started writing a memoir about cancer. Uh, and I remember being home and, um, and uh, it might've been after college, but she was sort of working on both of those manuscripts, the one about him and then the one about her. And we got into this conversation and she was saying like, I just can't do this cancer memoir and she was actually even writing it in the third person um and so we talked and i just thought you know what what if you merge the two together and and because they all happen at the same time and what you learn from this gardener can you know come into the lessons that you need to learn through your, you know, in, to help you through your illness. And so that's, that's when, uh, you know, things started clicking for her uh, on that project. So yeah, I, I remember, I remember all of that vividly. Um, did he just know, because, did he know she was writing a book about him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and she had, had, yeah, talked to him and his family, his, his wife, uh, and, and they, they all became close. So somewhere during that friendship, her cancer reoccurs. What was that like for your family? Uh, that, that one was really different. Um, it was 2004. 2005 and it was really different because she had a double mastectomy and chemo and it was uh, right in the fall and I was going back to college and and she before I left the house she you know took me aside and said whatever happens stay I want you to stay at school I want you to don't come back here don't come to to you know the hospital I want you to go to school, have your friends, uh, play basketball, and uh, and I'm going to be fine. She kind of gave me this line that was about, and this is another one of those things. She gave me this line that was, um, "I've lived a good life," like that type of thing. Uh, I, I've I've raised my kids. I'm proud of my kids. I'm I, I. It's you know I I'm satisfied. And then of course. I mean, that was hard for me to hear. But then when I went back and read the book, uh, that's not how she felt. Um, uh, she was not ready for that. 
and did not want that, of course. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, it was a different, it was a totally different thing. And I wasn't really there for it because I was in the school. And wasn't she only in her 50s? Yes, she was only in her 50s, yeah. Um, and, uh, and she did make it up after chemo, that, after that round of chemo, she did make it up to school, to, up to, it's like a 10 hour drive from Roanoke, Virginia to Williamstown, Massachusetts. And she made it up uh, a few times during the basketball season to come watch us play. And, um, I, but I just didn't realize how sick she was. Um, but of course she, she did recover from that, um, uh, for a few years at least. So what, was she ever told she was in remission? I don't know if the word remission was ever used. I, I think uh, certainly cure wasn't used, I don't believe. Um, but it was, there was another period of time where I had it in the background. I thought we were through it. And, and when did she really earnestly devote her time to finishing that book? I think in, in like 2000 and 2010, uh, she ended up getting an agent and, and, and selling the concept and, and then, you know, had a date for delivery. So she really turned up the heat, I would say. Yeah. That must have been a really, really exciting time for her personally. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. In fact, the email that she sent me is in is in the film. Um, she she was very excited, and you know, she had had other books that were agented and never published. Uh, so she would kind of been through that process a, a few times. Um, and, and we all, you know, just to get an agent is incredible. Uh, and she had kind of come that close so many times. Um, and then to finally break through, uh, it was just, I mean, it was incredible. So I, I know for me personally, there's been many times in my life when I tell stories and kind of rearrange things or arrange things so everything kind of makes sense. Would you say, was there a part of the family that thought, well, yeah, I mean, mom had cancer not once but twice and things are going smoothly now. She had this really interesting relationship with the gardener. She's written a couple books, as you said, you know, she got close, she got close. Okay, now we got the agent. This book is being, you know, well-received. It's looking good. It's looking good. Wow. You know, it's smooth sailing. It was all worth it. Dreams are coming true. Did you have, was there a time when you were able to kind of rest in that and celebrate that? Yeah. Yes. And that was that time, 2010 to 2012. Uh, yeah. We were, everyone was just i mean we were elated her book was it was anticipated to be an important book um for her publisher and so it, it really was it was a dream um for 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 her and for all of us because 
we were all a, a, a part of it. And, and I know that The Bookkeepers, it's not your first film. So at this time, had you already had some, you know, success with films that you had created and that you had put out there? In 2012 to 2011, I know I had been I had been working on a, a couple of projects at that point, um, and they hadn't come out yet. And I was working as a, I mean I did I did a client work, which um, you know I would do promotional videos for for different organizations and schools and things like that. Uh, and then I also was a substitute teacher in Brooklyn, New York at a private school and I coached middle school girls basketball. And um, so it, it, it was always, it, I was trying to make that breakthrough, trying to make that transition into full-time uh, film work. And, and I actually had started a project uh, about a legendary prep school basketball coach uh, who I played for uh, at Fort Union Military Academy. His name's Fletcher Errett. Uh, and I was like just out of college in 2007 and decided that I would uh, try to tell his story. And so I, I was like shooting that film uh, and I ended up shooting that film for, for many years and I'm now finishing that up as well. Um, so, but in that time, uh, I had not published uh, feature film yet. My first feature came out in 2014. Oh, okay. Okay. But you had the full support of your mom, you had the support of your dad, you had the support of your siblings? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have done it otherwise, you know. Um, so, yeah. So I, I don't want to give too much of the story away because it's such a fascinating story on so many different levels. Your mom's book is published. Your mom's book is published. What can you tell us about that? Tell us, I, I know, I know what happened, but tell us as much about that time as you want. I remember I was living in Philadelphia on publication day and I, and I went to a bookstore. I went to like a Barnes and Noble and I just like stood there and looked at it. Um, it was really just, you know, it was incredible. Um, and I like wanted to stop everybody that walks by and say like, you got to buy this. This is my mom's um, book. You know, that's my, that's my mom. And I was actually, that summer, I, I had a job working for a nonprofit organization in Ghana. And, and so I flew to Ghana. And on the way back, I stopped in um, Amsterdam. And her book is, is, available, is available in the Netherlands. Wow. And I went to a store there. And I, st and I stood there and did the same thing. And I bought it. And I checked out with it and I told the woman this is my mom's book and and she just said you know she she, she should be so proud right uh it, it, that it was um just a surreal experience um you know and and of course the the um sorry I gotta plug this thing in here 
the um, the sad part was that she her her cancer had returned, and uh, she wasn't really able to. I remember what she said to me. She said, uh, leading up to the publication, the book was published in March of 2014. Um, and she was at home, basically, in, 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 her, in a sick bed, like a hospital bed type situation. And I remember her saying, I, I hate this, uh, right before we were going to pick our fruit. Um, and she didn't have that many, uh, her illness had sort of uh, taken a turn where it was impacting her brain and she wasn't really there all of the time. Um, and so there we were outside, I was in the bookstore in Philadelphia or in Amsterdam and I knew that that uh, that she was in this kind of other world, um, and not really able to to experience it. Um, but we would, you know, we we we'd bring her magazine articles and and things like that. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's just uh, it, it's just hard to describe what what that was for us, what that what that was for me, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's certainly a bitter, bittersweet thing that that's how it happened. Um, and at the same time, it's beautiful that she was able to get it out in time. Um, because this, this finishing the book, she finished it in a window of time where um, she was coming close to, to not being able to do it anymore and she finished it. Did that surprise you about her, that she was able to finish it? No, but, but again, I, did, I, I guess I did not realize how close it was. Um, I think when it really got down towards the end of the book and we were just doing some final edits that were coming back from the publisher, um, then we sort of pitched in as a family with my dad helping write some, you know, helping some of the edits, uh, not, and, and I would read some and my sister and my brother, we all had a part in helping wow. it, uh, meet the standards, you know? Um, so it, her actually finishing the book, I, up until a certain point, I didn't realize exactly, I didn't realize that there was kind of a race happening. And I think maybe we only realized it after the fact. Would you say, were you in denial? Um, sorry, I just got to plug this computer in. Listen, you're a human being, do whatever you need to do. Um, it's interesting that you say that about denial, um, because when I started this project, we were at a Susan Komen event in Roanoke, Virginia. And uh, I was thinking it was one of the first events that my dad spoke on my mom's 
behalf because she was so sick. And the book was out. And I was interviewing, I, I, I thought I would make this video that would tell the story and it would be of my dad talking about the book and we would make this promo for the Facebook website for the book, for the Facebook site. And so I, I interviewed some of the people who were at the event and asked them what their experience was like. And um, one of the women, as I was interviewing her, she said to me, this must be so awful for you because my mom was back home in this hospital bed. And, um, and I wasn't like prepared to be vulnerable with her. And of course I'm standing behind the camera and I'm trying to This is important. I hope you come back. So interesting. I'm standing behind the camera. Come on, Carol, we need your son back. Yeah, we need your son back. I do not believe in coincidences. I just don't. So the documentary, it's called The Book Keepers. Oh, he'll be back, he'll be back. And it's fascinating. I mean, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. And like I said, it had its world premiere at the Austin Film Festival, premiered Sunday the 25th and he will let us know how to view it tomorrow, which is Wednesday, and then Thursday. It is, it is worth watching, it's 89 minutes. And then after Thursday, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not sure Phil is either, how folks will be able to view it. I believe they are I'm submitting it to other film festivals around the country. The name of his mom's book is called Mr. Oida's Guide to Gardening. Uh, I can't wait to read the book. I know some of the details about Carol, and I know some of the details about what eventually happens to the gardener who's from Kenya. So, like I said earlier, I don't believe in coincidences and the fact that someone offered Phil my book after his mom died when he was making this documentary. The documentary is about his father stepping in and being the voice of his wife being the voice of Phil's mom traveling across the country promoting the book he's back in her absence because she's not physically able to be there the layers are absolutely believe unbelievable unbelievable 
So what I said, Phil, is obviously your mom wanted you to take a little rest, take an exit, so I could talk about the documentary, so I could talk about the book. This is what I said to folks that, that correct me if I'm wrong, but they can, they can access the film today, tomorrow, and Thursday, but then after yes. Thursday, it's not available. So how, how would they go about doing that? So it's streaming through the Austin Film Festival and you can go to uh, the website, um, <clears throat> the film's website, which is bookkeepers.movie. And on there, there's a link and, and you can just click that and go to the Austin Film Festival where you can stream it. And what, what are the plans then? After, after Thursday, how, how will people be able to view it? So we are now in the on the film festival circuit, and we are um, trying to uh, you know we're we're doing some some more targeted festival opportunities in uh, uh, North America, and then uh, we're trying to do some international ones as well. So we're going to see how all of that shakes out, and then hopefully get a, uh, a you know an attractive a, a distributor that'll help this film reach its audience uh, and, uh, and get out there in the mainstream for sure. So who, who would you say ideally is the audience for this film? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm interested in what you have to say. I mean, I, I think, um, I, I feel like anyone that, that's, that's lost someone can, can get something out of this film. I mean, who is it for? Um, who is your work for? Um, so, so I'm going to answer your question. There's this brilliant man that I was just recently introduced to. His son refers to him as a teacher and a philosopher. What I think is unbelievably amazing, correct me if I'm wrong, but on Fridays he would substitute as the religion teacher at your high school. <laughs> so this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, how do we graciously how do we graciously slip into plan B? He said, I'm plan B. I'm probably plan D. So who do I believe my book is for? Who do I believe this unbelievable documentary is for? Every, all right, I'm gonna go there. Every single fucking human being. It's for everybody. Every human being should watch this documentary because it's honest, it's true, it's raw, and ultimately, it's a beautiful, gentle celebration of life. Mm. And what is real? I mean, what is, wh what is real? And what is real is love. It's a celebration of your love for your dad, your dad's love for his wife. The two of them, when they met, when he was a junior and he was, she was a senior, you know, her beautiful, beautiful love for her children, for her husband, for the gardener, every single human being should watch this. So I believe, and, and I mean, I firmly, firmly believe that your mom, the English teacher, the published author, I believe that, I'll call it heaven. We were both raised Catholic. I don't believe heaven is up there. I believe 
Heaven is right across the veil. I believe heaven is right here. Do I understand it? I do not. Mm -hmm. Am I going to debate it? I'm not. But I believe that somehow, some way, the essence of your mom is right here with us right now. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that my wife, Trish, the English major, is right here. My wife, Trish, loved, loved, loved the Turner Broadcast Network. She loved the old movies, loved them. She would literally say to me that my parents needed a refund in my Catholic education because I was so ill-read. I knew nothing about Shakespeare. I knew mm -hmm. nothing about great literature. You know, I knew nothing about the classics. My wife loves your mother. The two of them are conspiring for me and for you without a shadow of a doubt. So what I'm curious, if, if you lived where I live in the land of unlimited possibility, unlimited possibility, that the only thing that's going to limit you is your belief, what, what do you see as the ultimate, ultimate celebration of this incredible film that you made? If the sky is the limit, what does that look like for you? Uh, uh, packed theaters all, all across the world, and and you know, people standing on their feet and hugging each other and and sharing their stories. Um, yeah, I mean that's what it's all about, right? I, I, I think film, especially, not not film especially, but any type of work like this is is uh, it takes it takes time and effort and and when it's released it is a celebration um and it's there we go again so what he said was he said packed theaters all over the world when it's released it's a celebration do I believe that that's possible? I actually do, I actually do. I believe that energetically, if we hold that vision, and if we take the steps necessary to co-create that vision, that that can absolutely be a reality. So he's gonna come back, I promise you he's gonna come back. And when he comes back, I want him to give you, I want Phil to give you an overview of the documentary. He and his dad went around the country, bookstore to bookstore, group of people to group of people. And his dad, Dick, tells the beautiful, beautiful story of he and his wife. He's back. You're back. Okay, so. Yeah, sorry. What was I saying? No, no, no. Because I've got you, give folks an overview of what it is you wanted to accomplish in the film, in the film, The Bookkeepers. Well, I, I think the initial inspiration came what the film is now, it came from people sharing their stories with me and how that impacted me. 
it surprised me. I, I was just following my dad, uh, trying to be supportive at some of his events, and he would tell the story then and give the presentation. And afterwards, people came up to us and hugged us and told me who they lost. And it was just this really powerful thing. Um, and so I thought, there's got to be something happening here. And what if I could capture this story and tell it in a way that would replicate that? And, and so at the end of the film, you turn to the person next to you and you say, you know, here's my story. Um, and and that's, that's really what it's about. And, and it's, uh, dad made the point to me a couple of days ago, uh, I said it was a portrayal of grief and he, corrected me and said it's a record of grief and it's just a window into our life uh, through kind of my perspective of traveling with him uh, and 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 being witness to his journey and he was witness to your journey as well yeah that's very true yeah so how for how, give folks a sense how long did the two of you travel together well, I think the, the film encompasses about three years, uh, and the main aspects of it are two trips, one from Virginia to Bozeman, Montana, and back, which was, I think, 16 days, and then the other um, was Virginia down to uh, Florida and Georgia, um, um, and... Uh, and then we also had a trip to Texas. So, I mean, I was off and on, besides those two very intense kind of travel, um, pockets of travel, I was off and on, would just kind of pop in and, and film him. But if you watch this, if you watch the, the film, you'll see there are a lot of moments that made the film where I wasn't prepared at all to shoot uh, and, and life happened. And I was filming my life in a lot of ways. And so there are aspects where all I had was my iPhone um, or uh, that I. Amazing. We're going to we're going to plow through you guys, because this is fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Um, I'm going to ask him because I know I read it. How many places that that his dad actually visited and how many times he told the story of his romance with his wife and her journey in writing the book and getting the book published. What I, oh, he's back. What I, what I also, hey, there you are. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, my internet keeps dropping out. That's okay. I honestly, honestly believe life unfolds exactly as it's supposed to. How many, how many, how many stops has your dad made so far on the journey to promote the book? I'm definitely going to get this wrong. Uh, it's, I think it, it's around like 220 right now. And uh, I mean, over, uh, he drives everywhere. So he's like over a hundred thousand miles might be like 150,000 miles at this point. Um, and is he still doing it? Not during, uh, not during the COVID, you know, times, but 
but yeah, yeah. If you wanted him to give you a book talk, he'll do it. How would yeah. people get a hold of him? Uh, you can go to the website, mrowita.com or Facebook page, which is Mr. Owita's Guide to Gardening. Uh, and, uh, and just send us a message. Yeah. And how would you say from the first time your dad went out, I got to tell you, I got a kick of the stop in Naperville. Like many people, you refer to it as a <laughs> bookstore in Chicago, but we knew it was yeah. Naperville. And you did, you did finally admit that it's Naperville. Um, yeah. How would you say, how has your dad changed? Like, what, what have you seen transform in your dad through this journey that he's been on, of being able to tell that story over and over and over again? It's exactly what I talk about in Chapter 10 of Permission to Mourn. He's embodying it. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if it's really how much he has changed it's how how i my perception of him has changed it's like i um i think that that's part of the story as well is he's saying he's talking about magic at the beginning of the film and he's talking about magic at the in the middle and magic at the end he's very much the same at his core and it's more like i recognize uh uh, it's more like I see all of these ways that uh, he makes himself vulnerable and that he cultivates an open heart and he does this work of taking all of the different things that he reads and, and is able to integrate them into his own philosophy um, that then he tells, gives to other people. Um, so none of it surprises me um but it has deepened our relationship uh in in many ways that that are, were that are unexpected um and, and yeah. would you say in accompanying him on this journey have you gotten to know your mom better as well yeah i have i um making the film required me to go back through the archives and get family photos and dig up her articles and you know go through the you know research online and and find newspapers art, newspaper articles that she'd written and so in some senses i there were stories that i'd heard that i then confirmed while trying to research things to use for the film um, and then there were other things that I had never really put together. And so she, for sure, has become a much fuller, uh, I have a much fuller picture of her and who she was before I was born and and who she, how she saw herself. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it has made me closer to her just because um, I feel like I know her better. Since she passed away. Yes, 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 I do. So another chapter of my book is The Relationship Continues, which I think surprises a lot of people, but that's one of the things that I was attracted about your story and your dad's story, 
the relationship does continue because both of yeah, you, I agree. Both of you are leaning in, and rather than close your mom off and put her in a box and wrap it up and put her in the bottom drawer and never speak about her again, yeah. you're literally you're traveling with her all over the country. And I would say part of that continuation. Um, I had a period where I went through the film and I had a rule that there was no nostalgia allowed. So anything that was that, you know, cause we do jump in time in the film, but it would have, whatever we talked about from the past had to serve our present and had to serve the, con the contemporaneous journey that we were on. And in this case, dad is the protagonist. Um, and I think that that's important, at least for me, when you're talking about that, when I think of the continuing relationship with my mom, I'm not being nostalgic about the, the past. It's more that I'm thinking about what I know of her now and, and, and integrating that into, into my life. Um, so I just feel like that's an important, that's an important distinction that I made in, in making the film and it really was a uh, pivotal moment uh, for the film itself. And, uh, and I imagine that it's something that I'll carry into, into my life and already have. Well, your dad definitely sets the tone for that, I think. I mean, what, what you captured of him and what you shared of him, I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's a celebration of his life. It's an acceptance in a really gentle way that how do I graciously slip into plan B? You know, th mm -hmm. this wasn't plan A. Let, let me tell you what plan A was. <laughs> you know, plan A was that the two of us were going to sail into the sunset. But right. I got plan B instead, so I'm gonna graciously figure out how to slip into it. So what, what I believe is that you and your dad, by being visible and by being vulnerable and honest and real, in your presence, you give other people permission to do the same thing. And that's why they're comfortable coming up to you telling stories of their loved ones, of their loved mm -hmm. ones, their loved ones. And that's how we heal. That's how we heal. So either consciously or subconsciously, what you and your dad did is exactly what I did. And what I do is you go across the country and you're creating safe containers where people can be seen and they can be heard and they can be honored. And rather than pretend that there isn't a dead person, there's room and there's space for the dead person. You're bringing the dead person into the present moment. That's how we heal. That's how we heal. And the fact that it's two men doing it, it's like, Lord have mercy. We got to shine a spotlight on the two of you because this is a new way. I mean, this is revolutionary. It is. I mean, it's revolutionary that you and your dad are doing this. Um, how, you know, it's October 27th, 2020. How would you describe your mom now, you know, from the chair you're sitting in and everything you've learned about her? How would you describe her? 
Uh, I, I, I think she was, well, I should say she is, I mean, she's, she's creative. Um, she wanted to connect with people. That she, she, and as she says in the film, she believes in a just world and she wanted to tell stories that would have a positive impact on other people. Um, she, in her class, as a teacher, everybody started with an A, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, that's what she believed and you have to prove her otherwise. Um, and, and, that's, and that's really, I, I think, how she approached people and, and life just with an openness um, uh, that, uh, that I really admire. So what you said is that your mom wanted to connect with people, that she wanted to have a positive impact. And what you also said is growing up, it was always a team. It was always us. I thought it was beautiful. You said, you know, we worked on the edits, you know, to make sure that we, we, we got it out as quickly as we possibly could. It was a it was a group effort. It was me, it was my brother, my sister, my dad. None of that has changed, it doesn't sound like. I mean, your mom, in my language, she left her physical body. She's not here on planet Earth. But clearly, I mean, your mom is at the center of our conversation. If your mom was walking around, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So your mom is very much still at the center and she's still connecting with people and she's still having a positive impact. And when we get to know you, and when we get to know your dad through your film, we get to know your mom. So yeah. in the book, I talk about a miracle being a shift in perception. Yes, this is a miracle. This is a new way. We get, your, your, your mother continues to do her work in a slightly different way because you said yes, and your dad said yes. So yes. I, I also want to ask you how, you know, today, today, October 27th, 2020, how would you describe your dad? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the first word that comes to mind is optimistic. I think that he also has this openness. And that's how they got together in the first place, right? Because they believed in, 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 in each other. Um, and he's someone that, I mean, every time I see him, he's talking to somebody. I, I, I would, I mean, I, I mean, like if we're out, if we're on a family vacation or whatever, and, and we're in a hotel and leaving somewhere, he's always got his guy, you know, you, you should talk to, you know, here's the person you talk to for, for where to go to eat and all this stuff. And he just, he just believes in people. Um, and, and I, I think growing up, I sort of was like, oh, dad, come on. But then I started to realize that the people are reciprocating. They, re they remember him, they know him. Uh, and so he just has this way of, of connecting that, that um, and I think that that's something that I did not expect. Uh, it, it did not match up with the image I had of, of him. 
that now I'm realizing I was just sort of missing it this whole time. Um, because he just, he's a very open and optimistic person. And he, uh, and I think that's one way why he's able to like integrate these, you know, philosophies. Um, because he'll, you know, if you have, he'll read it and he'll listen and, uh, and apply it in his own way. There's a quote that I love. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. You said your dad's optimistic. You said your mom and dad believed in each other. You said your dad believes in people. I would contend that at the bottom of all of it, your dad believes in himself. I mean, your dad, I, I would think that your dad has a really, wrong, really, really strong connection to who he is and that colors all of his interactions. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, I can see that. And when you, when you watch the film, or, which is really, I mean, the film is in a lot of ways a, my portrait of him. Uh, that, yeah, you can see that he really believes what he's saying. Uh, and, and it does take a, a lot of awareness to do that. And what I love about Over and over. Exactly. You know. what, what I love about the film, and I most sincerely mean this, the way you told the story in a very complimentary way reminded me of Hamilton, and I want to tell you why. There, there are certain themes, there are certain phrases that your dad uses, and you come back to them. You know, you come back to them. You come back to them. That reminded me of, you know, the brilliance of Hamilton. Um, yeah, you're, it's clear. Your father knows who he is. Your father knows he's on a journey that he didn't expect. And he knows that he has many, many different ways to approach it. And he makes a conscious decision, not once, I'm positive, but over and over and over again that he's gonna do this graciously. He's gonna do this graciously. Yeah. Let me ask you this. To me, this is the most important thing about our conversation. Who are you today? I mean, who are you? How has, how has your mom's diagnosis when you were so young, the, the recurrence, you know, the publication of her book, you know, her death, the sadness of, her not being able to, you know, celebrate the fruits. Mm -hmm. And then you saying, yes, you know, I'm going to accompany my dad. I'm going to be witness to my dad as he, you know, takes up the torch and in essence brings my mom to the world. Who are you today? You know, who are you? How, how has this changed you? Um, I think, I mean, I feel very, I feel very, um, fortunate to have been in the position to be able to take that trip with my dad and to be able to say yes. Um, I don't, I, yeah, that's a tough question. I don't, I mean, I, I have changed. Like I said, I read your poem one way 
three years ago and I read it a totally different way two days ago. Um, in some ways, you know, my mom said, take care of our book. Uh, and I feel like um, that I'm able to kind of release that a little bit um, because this story is out there. It can be out there now. Um, and so it's not a chapter that's closed in any way, but there is, there is, a, 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 there's, um, some weight off, I would say. Uh, and I'm just like, I, I would say that I'm just very proud to have my mom and dad and my brother and sister and the rest of our family, um, uh, because of how loving and supportive everyone is. Um, you know, my, my brother has said many times that, you know, this nothing, my mom got sick and mom died and we have this book and all this stuff and nothing has ever gotten between us. It's only, we've only become closer. Um, and so I guess in the way that I've changed is I've, been able through this process to sort of see how I let go of prior uh, um, preconceptions of, or prior perceptions of, of how I saw the people around me and myself and where I fit in um, and, and able to meet people where they are or try to, or understand that that's something I should do. Um, I think, is uh, a friend of mine said to me one time that there's there's two kinds of people. There's you walk into a room and you say here I am, or you walk into the room and you say there you are. Uh, and uh, and I've I've been thinking more and more about that like over the last few few years since since mom died because that's that's really what that's really what all these meaningful moments for me have been where someone looked at me and saw me and wanted to share. Um, and so, yeah, just, I, I just feel like I've been more open to that. There's another chapter in this book that I wrote. In, in Permission to Mourn? Yeah, it's, it's chapter 20. It's uh, Gifts Given and Received. And mm. it sounds to me like what you just described. You know, I did read the whole book. It's probably somewhere in there. That's okay. You know? Okay. Um, but it sounds like what you just described are gifts yeah. that you yeah. received as a result of your mom's leaving the planet when she did. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you this. You said, um, you know, that your mom said, you take care of our book. And that's yeah. exactly what you and your dad have done. And as a result of that, you created this film. The film is done. The film had its world premiere. As you look back, would you say that by taking care of the book, that the book actually took great, great care of you and your dad? Uh, 
and yeah, my brother and my sister and all of us, absolutely. And I think uh, that is a, a point of the film that I made sure no one in the film got to say. Um, because that discovery is so powerful. And, uh, and I wouldn't want to take that away from, from anyone who came to it on their own. Because, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, it's like, you take care of our book. Well, can you be more specific, please? Right. You know, what, what, what do you want? Exactly. Uh, so it's more like a, a, a mission, a, a quest, um, just giving us an orient, a way to orient ourselves. Um, and I think that a lot of people who have lost that I've spoken with are struggling to find that. Uh, and, and that's something that we had where maybe early on, I wouldn't have been able to navigate what I was feeling in the way that we did or as, or as quickly as we had to because we were like immediately in front of people and talking about our grief in the midst of it. Um, and I, and that's gotta be very unique, I think, because I have friends who've experienced lost and loss, and I know that they want to talk about it. I know it's on their mind. Um, but how often do people, you know, say, ask you, Tom, if it's okay, if they, they're sorry that they brought up your, your wife or your daughter or, or sorry, I said that or whatever. Uh, and, and it sounds to me like it's not far from your mind ever. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that the book did a lot for us uh, because people were inviting us to come out and talk about this book. And we ended up talking about talking about her and, and, and where we were at that point. And, and mainly it was my dad, you know, doing it. I would suggest, particularly after learning more about your mom tonight, that in her wisdom, either consciously on a subconscious level, part of what she was saying when she asked you to take care of the book is she was inviting you to love each other, you know, continue mm -hmm. to love each other, continue to love each other. You said that, that you and your dad and your siblings have only grown closer over the years. And I wonder if any of you realize how, how unique that is, that, that the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I've worked with over the years, when someone dies, that's usually the beginning of the end of the family relations because of the way different people handle it. So I would say you guys are unique. You, you have a, I mean, you have many fascinating stories to tell on many different levels, but the fact that you're able to actually love each other and grow closer 
is a novel way to do it. It's a new way to do it. Most families don't. Mm. And I would suggest that, you know, knowing what I know about this work, one of the things that's different about you all is that you talk about it. You know, you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Our mom died. And rather than pretend that didn't happen, we're not gonna talk about it once. We're gonna talk about it a lot. And we're gonna be open to hearing what other people have to say about their experiences. So right. we're gonna be teachers and students and students and teachers, and we're all gonna to grow together. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and, and that's what I, I mean, in some ways I think that that, you're right, I don't realize how unique that is because I, I don't have any other experience. Um, and I do feel very lucky and, and um, but I just sort of wonder what, you know, it, it isn't that the point of what going to therapy, like grief counseling is or to a grief group is, is part of that is exposing yourself to telling that story over and over and over. Um, not to the point that it wears out, but to, to the point where, like you said in, in, in your poem, that you, you start to uh, understand the truth. I, 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 those aren't the exact words, but, but, I, but I feel like the, the unique nature of what my dad was doing is like almost this sort of experiment where we got to like watch, you know, what would happen if you did get to go out and you did get to talk to strangers every other night and tell them uh, of, of, of this loss. Um, and, and that's what's really special, I think, about that. And if the strangers that gathered were actually interested in listening to you, that's unique. That's rare. Right, right. And, and they're not listening to him because they want to hear him talk about his grief in most cases. They want there. There are. Uh, it's either a gardening club, a book club, a cancer club. Uh, there are grief groups, but they're all here to listen to him talk about the lessons learned in this book, and the lessons learned going out and speaking about this book. Um, and if you ask me, what they what they really get is what's. One more time. I'm losing him one more time. So when he comes back, we're going to wrap it up. And I'm going to ask him again to let us know where we can find his mom's book and what we need to do to view the documentary. I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, you watch it. It is called The Book Keepers. There you are. Maybe he's not. Yeah, he's coming back. Got you back. All right. Good. So I, I want to I want to um, shed a little light on something. I agree with you. You talked. You said, "Isn't that what grief counseling is about? Isn't that what group support groups are about?" Yes, yes, yes. You want to know the percentage of men that go to grief counseling, or the percentage of men that show up? to a support group more than once? Tell me. 2%, it's minuscule. Men do not do it. They are not willing to feel their feelings and to talk about what the heck it is happened. That's what's unique about 
the, the film, that's what's unique about your dad, that's what's unique about the relationship that you and your dad have. Well, I do want to add on that point, one of the, I go to a, a therapist, a grief counselor, who has worked with me on, on lots of things, including listen to me talk about this project and what he's watched cuts of the film and, and we've, you know, talked about my personal experience and sort of what the experience of others out there is and what resources there are out there. But yeah, I mean, I think it's an invaluable thing um, to be able to, to um, use that type of, uh, you know, help. Bill, your mom and dad did a really, really good job of raising you. You're, 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 you're a little bit different from, you know, you're, you're not the normal guy out there. I mean, you're, you're open, you're willing, you're ready, you're, you're a teacher, you're a storyteller, you're cutting edge. You're the future. You're the, you're the healthy future, I would say. I, thank you. I, um, I, I don't really know how to respond to that. I, I just, uh, I'm trying to give back wh what's been given uh, to me, um, you know, and, and you are, are someone who's had an impact on me. And, and I'm just really grateful for the work that, that you've done um, that is from your heart and that is thoughtful and impactful. And, you know, the way that you turned outward, right? Uh, when it's very easy to turn inward. Uh, and, and that's something that I want to, that I, it's a challenge to me, you know, when I see that. And, and my dad did it, and my brother, and my sister. So, yeah. There's nothing easy about it. But it's worth it. I always say it's worth it. It's definitely yeah. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else are we going to do? Kill yeah. ourselves. We could kill ourselves. And if we did, uh, I would go, okay, you know, I get it. We could start drinking. We could pop Xanax. There's a lot of things we could do. There's a lot of paths that other people take. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I believe everyone's doing exactly what they need to do to survive. Everyone's doing the best they can. But the gift that you're offering the world, that your dad's offering the world, and that I'm offering the world, is to show people that there's a different way. There's a new way to do it. That, that we can graciously slip into plans. Yes. That's, that's, that's different. That's, an, that, that's the miracle. That's the shift in perception. So this is my thought. What I, would, what I would really, really, really love to do, if your dad would be willing, I'd love to have a similar conversation with him in a couple of weeks. And then, I sure. would love, then I'd love to have the two of you back. I'd love to talk with both of you. I think that would be really, really fascinating. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I, I, I know he would love it. So, 
So let let folks know again. Hold up your mom's book. Let them know what the title is. Sure. And let them know where they go get it. So, Mr. Oida's Guide to Gardening by Carol Wall, um, and you can go to the website mroida.com, uh, and there are links to to stores there, um, and uh, and our that we're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Mr. Oida. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, we really appreciate it. And for the film, it is uh, bookkeepers.movie and it's playing with the Austin Film Festival streaming through Thursday. And you can go to the website and click the link to watch the film. It'll take you to the, the Eventive site uh, where it's streaming. And, uh, and uh, you can also find us on Facebook uh, at bookkeepersmovie and Instagram at Bookkeepers Movie. The film, it's 89 minutes. I've watched yes. it twice. I'm gonna watch it again. Um, the first time I just watched it, you know, with an open mind and an open heart. And the second time, because I knew the story, I wanted to kind of zero in. It's like, what did I miss? What didn't I hear? You know, I'm taking notes because I agree right. with you. I mean, your father is, is a brilliant philosopher. And I'm like, what did he say? You know. I got to ask him about that. How did he come up with that? Um, right. You know, following the death of his wife, he chose such a different path, certainly than I did, and certainly that a lot of men that I know. So, you know, the question is, who is your dad? And in asking that question, we get to know your mom even more. Yeah, of course. I asked you uh, if you would trust me. I really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you better. I loved getting to know your dad better. I loved getting to know your mom and your siblings. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of work that you've offered the world. So thank you. Rooted, rooted in the work that I do, thank you. You know, thank you on behalf of all the people that I connect with. It's gonna help us heal you paint a picture of what's possible. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, that it reached you and, that you and I appreciate your time and, and I appreciate you watching it. And uh, I, you know, I don't know what to say, just thank you. This is what we say, you, you, were, you were clear, but then the universe shut you off I want to be clear that, that when I asked you what the vision is for this film, mm -hmm. the vision is that it's released all over the world and that there are people standing in line in theaters all over the world who are really, really touched by viewing it. And when it's done, they rise to their feet bravo, 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 and they are changed. I mean, they are changed as a result of meeting you and your family, and they're gonna do grief differently. They're gonna turn to the person next to them, and they're gonna tell the story. They're gonna tell the story, they're gonna tell the story, and they're gonna heal. They're actually gonna believe like your dad does. I loved that line where, you know, he talked about curing as opposed to healing. Yes. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes. Why? And that's not what he started guys. out. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. 
Of course, yeah. I interrupted you. It's not how he started out. Oh, it's not how he started out giving his talk. He, he came to that over time at that point of healing versus curing. Yeah. But, but I cut you off when you said something very important. Go, I, I said, watch the film. Go watch the film. I promise you, I promise yeah. you. It is worth it. It is worth it. But only watch it if you're interested in healing and if you're ex interested in expanding your vision and your understanding of what is possible. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'll be in touch. I want to talk with your dad and then I want to talk with both of you. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll do it. That'd okay. Be great. All right, hold on. I'm going to get rid of these folks.